You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Allison Renborg in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And you are listening to the monthly Equine Affair episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 15th. This episode is brought to you by Equine Affair. Good morning, Horse World. It's the third Thursday of the month. That means it's time for the Equine Affair episode, North America's premier equine expo and equestrian gathering. Well, we're back with another Equine Affair episode. Equine Affair is here on Horses in the Morning, the third Thursday of every month. And we have we have uh, an exciting announcement that you don't have in your show notes. What is it? <laughs> it is that uh, the Equine Affair episode now is a standalone podcast on your podcast players. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so uh, it's called, we, we got really clever. Do you want to share everybody what the name is? Uh, the official Equine Affair podcast. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's called the Equine Affair podcast because we're really clever over here. Uh, but you can now, if you want to, just uh, subscribe to the Equine Affair podcast feed and just listen to Equine Affair or all the Equine Affair past episodes. You can do that in the podcast player. Of course, it still shows up here on Horses in the Morning and on the Horse Radio Network feeds. Uh, but, you know, this way it makes it a little bit easier for somebody searching for it to find it. Plus, you guys can market it a little easier. So I think it's just a win-win for everybody, including the yeah. listeners. Yeah. Yeah, we're really excited. I need to go find it and subscribe to it in my podcast player because I haven't done that yet. You do. <laughs> so, yeah, we will have one subscriber then. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, me. And then please don't leave me alone. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Join in. <laughs> so I did want to make that announcement before we forgot. Yes, thank okay. you. So what are yes, we doing we to have... today on the show? Yes, so we are talking about my favorite subject, which you still haven't gotten to go see it because you were sick yes. last Ohio, but Fantasia. So that is our nighttime show. Um, we equine affair it up all day long. And then we have Fantasia at night. It's a two hour show and it's really like a um, equestrian performance variety show. It's always different from event to event. Um, and even from night to night, sometimes things change up because, you know, things happen and, People, performers decide to change things up, so you never quite know what you're going to see. But we always try to have a big variety of performers, so you'll see raining, you'll see dressage, you'll see trick riding. Um, we had Luke Rollins last Massachusetts, and he likes to light ropes on fire and jump through them. Um, <laughs> so you never, there's always fire, I will say that. We almost always have fire. Um, but then everything else Anything goes. And what, who are we talking to today? Today we are talking to, um, well, the first interview is going to be with Brendan Wise, and he is one half of Unbridled Wings, and they performed in Fantasia last Massachusetts, and they're coming back. Uh, they liked us. They're coming back, and they'll perform in Fantasia in Ohio in April. And then they're also doing clinics. Um, Brendan and Melanie Wise are the couple who are Unbridled Wings. And then after Brendan, we're talking to Celise Barrett, and she's the director and founder of Equestrian Chaos, which is an all-woman stunt team, and they do mounted archery and trick riding. Oh, that's and cool. They, yeah. And this will be their first time performing in Fantasia this spring, so we're super excited wow. about them. I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear about that. All right, let's uh, let's get to our first guest right after this. Equine Affairs Musical Celebration of the Horse, sponsored by Equine Medical and Surgical Associates, is coming to the Ohio Expo Center for three nights only, April 11th, 12th, and 13th. Join us for this incredible show with performances by the Whispery Pines Percherons, Brendan and Melanie Wise, Bethany Isles and Ryder Kiesner, and Equestrian Chaos. You can get your tickets by visiting equineaffair.com. And I recommend, I recommend you get them quickly because they go fast. 
And while you're online, we encourage you to visit equinemedsurge.com, which is the website for Equine Medical and Surgical Associates. They are our new sponsors for Fantasia, and they'll also be at Equine Affair in Ohio on the trade show floor. So make sure you stop by and visit with Dr. Frank Riley while you're there and learn more about their supplements for all your horse's needs. Brendan Wise is one half of Unbridled Wings, which is a seasoned bridalless performance team. Brendan is a trainer and clinician who got his start in natural horsemanship and ranch, cow, and reining disciplines. But he eventually fell in love with and now studies classical horsemanship and dressage. Brendan and Melanie are performing in Fantasia this spring, and they're also teaching clinics on bridalless riding. Well, hi, Brendan. Welcome to our show. Hello, Allison. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so glad you're going to be here with us. Um, and we are talking to you because you're going to join us in Ohio with Melanie. Um, Unbridled Wings is coming to Ohio, and we're just super thrilled to have you guys. You're going to be in Fantasia and also teaching clinics. So have you been to our Ohio affair before? I have one other time. I was there actually with one of my first mentors, John Lyons and Josh Lyons. Um, was there just as an assistant, enjoying the show and, and helping with their horses and the booth and, and inside the demos. So, yeah, I've made it up there one time and it was a great experience and we're very, very excited to come back. Yeah, you're going to come back and be presenters yourselves. So that's going to be a whole yeah, new experience. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly will be. And we're really excited about it. Um, certainly, uh, we're excited to be in Fantasia and show people the wonderful horses that we have and the work that we do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to get on and also teach a little bit. Last time I did some filling in for a clinician that wasn't able to make it and got to teach some jump clinics last year, sorry, at, uh, at Massachusetts, but um, getting to present a little bit more about what we do, both in bridalist and dressage and, and jumping and, and everything that includes in that is uh, super exciting for us. We'd love to share it. Yeah. So let's talk about what you guys specialize in. What do you guys love to do with your horses? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting because we both, my wife and I have, um, such diverse backgrounds and have dipped our toes in so many different industries that it really gives us, uh, an, an interesting perspective when it comes to training horses and preparing for competition and preparing for exhibition and performances and such. Um, most of the time in these kind of contexts where we're, we're at an expo and we're presenting a lot of what we do these days is centered around our bridalist work and we love our bridalist work. We're passionate about it. Um, you know, we're, we're one of the few that take it into uh, regular competition uh, in the jumper ring at a, in a full-time basis. So um, for us, it becomes a little bit of a different perspective in that we don't necessarily look at bridalists just something for tricks or for fun or exhibition. For us, this is, this is a viable means of competition and competing against other bridled horses. So that tends to be the way that we like to approach it. And though we do it because, uh, you know, in some cases we feel like it benefits the horses even better than being ridden in the bridle. We're certainly not anti-bridle by any stretch of the imagination, um, but we've found that with some jumpers and, and dressage horses and then horses all around, really, eventers, Western horses and such, that um, sometimes even just cross-training without the bridle gives them an opportunity to gain some independence, learn something different about the way they move their bodies and free things up a bit, as well as for the rider, the benefits of, of learning how to produce the same posture and muscle engagement and balance without being connected directly to the horse's face. It really opens up a lot of different doors of study and, and kind of more self-reflection in, in what we're doing inside the horse's body. So it's, it's quite fascinating for us. Now, is there a, a level of training or a level of collection that the horse needs to learn before you go bridleless, or what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So quite often, I would say no. I mean, I, I would say that I like to have the horse at least at the point that walk trot, they're not trying to put me on the ground. <laughs> that's, For sure. That's kinda, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit helpful. You know, it's not 100% necessary, but it's a little bit helpful. I usually recommend people if they ask me, hey, when can I start doing this kind of work? I say, if your horse is comfortable in an arena, in an enclosed space, a controlled environment, if you can walk and trot around without there being too much issue of them trying to put you on the ground, 
then you can start this work. And, and we always start this work with the bridle on. At the same time, we're starting to introduce our bridalist cues, our bridalist education, just for safety reasons. It's important that we keep that on there rather than just, you know, stripping everything away and just see how it goes. <laughs> we, we like to stair step it in there. We want the horses to understand. We want to be well prepared because anytime that you ride bridalist as much as we do and with as many horses as we do, you're going to come across situations where it doesn't go right. And certainly both Melanie and I have, have both been taken off with uh, on our own horses. <laughs> it happens, you know, it, it, it's possible. It's, it's in the realm of, of what's possible when I, when I don't have that bit in their mouth. And sometimes even when you do, um, you don't have that, that ability to, to say a very, very clear, like, this is not possible for you to do. If they want to do it, they're going to do it. <laughs> so, you know, we, we really try to keep that in mind and give them the smoothest course of education that we can to prepare them mentally and physically for the jobs that we ask them for. Um, so like I said, if, as long as it's, you know, in that realm of you can walk and trot in a controlled environment and, and be relatively safe, then yeah, I think it's very possible to go ahead and start this work, at least even the basic work for sure. I love that because I was thinking, oh, surely you have to get to a certain level before you proceed. But it sounds like you can just start. If they're not going to buck you off, you can start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, riders. pretty much. And and always sometimes people look at our horses and they're like, oh, your your horse is so quiet. Your horse is so calm. Of course you can do bridalist. And we always have to remind people that most of our best bridalist horses and oftentimes the ones that I target for bridalist work tend to be the hotter, sensitive, more difficult to ride types. And when I take mm -hmm. that bridle off and give them the opportunity to, to think on their own and, and figure things out on their own a little bit more, it's amazing the change that you can have inside of their body and inside of their mind. A, a good example is just as I'm down here in Ocala and we're showing and we're having a good time, I have a student whose horse, you know, was having a lot of confidence issues and stopping trouble inside the ring. And uh, as soon as um, they came over and started training with me, I was like, look, I, I want to cross train this horse Bryless. I want to get that out of his way and see what he feels like. And sure enough, I think that's one of the defining factors that has him back in the ring and, and completing courses and actually doing very, very well in, in classics and in the high adult classics and everything. So um, it's interesting because uh, people tend to write off the ones that maybe are a bit more difficult to ride, but if anything, I find that they excel often the most in this kind of work. Well, it, it's amazing what horses can accomplish if you just get out of their way sometimes. Like I remember yeah. as a young novice rider, you know, I would get up in my horse's face and be clutching, holding too tightly. And my ride, my riding teacher would just say, just get out of his mouth. Just let him go. Sure. And it feels yeah. so counterintuitive, especially when you're new and you're scared to just let the horse have his head. But as soon as I got out of that horse's mouth, man, everything changed. He was just like, OK, now I can be your equal and you're not messing with me. Um, right. So yeah. a very, very simplistic uh, translation. But I can totally mm. see that uh, in in higher levels, too. If you just get out of their way and you give them that freedom and education what what's possible yeah. is is obvious through what you guys do yeah absolutely and you know it also when you aren't uh when you don't have a bridle on you are going bridleless oftentimes you're sober to the reality of you can't force it you mm. can't just make it happen um so even just our brains have a tendency to take a little bit more time and say okay let's let's educate through this let's bring the horse's mind along to be with me rather than just try to go out there and, and muscle through it. Because if I do, I'm probably going to get taken off with it. It's just the yes. way it is. So, so purely for, for self-preservation, um, you know, it's nice to, to sit back and say, okay, you know, what do I do to give this horse the best opportunity to excel? That's awesome. So you're, you'll be teaching clinics um, on these concepts. Is that what you're hoping yeah. to bring to people? Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, you know, we, we'd like to throughout the, the week 
uh, oftentimes it presents itself in a little bit of a series and that we're going to be able to work, you know, on the very, very basic work and the very introduction to how we start them bridalists. A horse that, you know, has the bridle on has maybe never done bridalists before. And we show all that beginning work of how we start it and get to the point where we are taking the bridle off. And, you know, for some horses, for me, that's the same day within five, 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. You know, this horse is ready. We have the basic ideas. Let's go ahead and pull it off. Some horses that might be a week or two or, or a month or whatever's comfortable with, but there's a certain regiment and there's a certain list of things in place that in mar- our minds, we have to say, okay, I need the horse to understand this in order to make sure we're both safe and we both understand. And then we're pretty ready to go from there. So we go through that. We go through that beginning introductory work and, and then it starts to get fun because then, like I said, for us, this is a viable means of competition. So we start to address the issues that might come up in competition and, and also address the, the right balances and cues and systems that we have to have in place to get the maximum performance out of the horse, just as I would against bridled horses. Uh, when I go in the show ring, you know, they, they don't look at me and say, oh, well, you have a different set of rules or, or we'll be kinder on you because you don't have a bridle or something like that. If anything, it's quite hostile. When I make a mistake that maybe every single bridled horse has made him out there. You know, it, it, they look at me a lot differently. They, they scrutinize and they criticize me a lot differently because I don't have a bridle on even down to the fact we've heard trainers send their horse and their kid and their horse into the ring. And they look at their student and say, make sure the bridalist horse doesn't beat you. You know, <laughs> So, uh, so we try to as much as possible, um, present the horses in a way that, uh, you know, they are, they're on the same level as, as we look at it. So the, the later stuff in the week starts to get into the dressage work, the jumping work, the flat work, the over fences, all the stuff that we do to make sure when I go in the ring, I'm, I'm prepared for every possibility and my horse is mentally sharp and their body is physically ready and we're on the same page. I assume what, what competitions can you compete in that way? I know you can't yeah, in yeah. So, many, many, you know, like traditional competitions. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as far as rated shows go, rated USEF type shows, it's really just show jumping. United States show jumping, for better or for worse, there's almost no tack rules. <laughs> there really is. Really? So I didn't know you could do bridalists and show jumping. Yeah, bridalist and show jumping. Oh, yeah, wow. that's where we compete on the A circuit uh, here in Ocala right now. I'm I'm doing bridalist courses both at at Hits and at WEC with my horse um, Lyric, who will be at the show. And the same thing with Melanie with her horse Wings. Um, she competed at Washington International Horse Show. She competed at you know Hits Culpepper and and Hits down here and uh, in Ocala and such. Um, even at WEC, she did a course at WEC. So yeah, U.S. show jumping it is legal on the A rate circuit to go ahead and show bridalists and, and that's really about it when it comes to uh the the competitions that you can do as far as rated goes now also local competitions we for the most part can contact the venue ahead of time whether it be dressage or eventing or, or hunters even sometimes um, we can contact them ahead of time and say hey this is what we do this is how our horses go Oftentimes we'll show them video and send them video so that they can see that we do it in a safe manner and it, it honors the, the expectation of the sport. And 99% of the time they go ahead and let us come in and compete. Um, but certainly on the A-rated circuit, show jumping is, is our biggest avenue. You know, it's funny because every horse show has a loose horse, you know, and everybody's screaming and the horse right. is running. It's never bridleless. Mm-hmm. It's always got a bridle on. Yes, that's for sure. That's for sure. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, you get into that conversation with stewards and and judges and such like that. And they're like, well, you know, there's a big, big safety issue here. And that's one of the things that we bring up is that, you know, every show there's a loose horse running around with a bridle on. Every show there's people hitting the ground with a bridle on, getting run away with horses running into each other. Every show it's that way. And, And let's face it, as expensive as these shows are, there's not too many people that are going to spend the money to go out and take the risk if they're not prepared, if they don't actually believe they can do it. And let's true. face it, to go out there without a bridle and compete and pay thousands of dollars it takes, you know, you don't look at that lightly for the most part. Boy, when we you don't have, look at that lightly. <laughs> when you have a clean round uh, in show jumping with bridalists, I can't imagine the audience. They must love that. 
They do. Yeah. Yeah. The audience definitely loves it. And, and sometimes, you know, it's a little bit of a split decision. When we first started doing this on the circuit, um, you know, people really actually disliked us a lot to the mm-hmm. point that we even had people in the warm up ring say, you're spooking my horse because what? you don't have a bridle on, what? which was absurd to me. Your horse needs some training is what I got to say. <laughs> right, right. I wasn't quite sure how to respond to that. And, yeah, me and either. Always, you know, yeah, internally, you probably want to say some words, but you know, externally, we've always tried to be as kind as possible, stay out of people's way when possible. We don't, we're not here to ruffle any feathers. We're not here, really, we're not even here for so, the publicity of uh, it that tends to come with uh, it. But that's not our goal. Our goal, <laughs> <laughs> our our goal was always just to do what was best for that horse on that day. And some of these horses, what we feel like is the best is to strip that bridle off and, and give them the chance to go around. It is very strange. I mean, even when my wife went to Washington International Horse Show, nobody knew except for the show organizers and a few other people that this was going to happen. Um, you know, we didn't publicize it. We didn't care. We just wanted to get through the course. And at that time, uh, you know, this particular horse, Melanie and Wings, um, you know, it was a little bit of a crisis of faith. And, and, you know, Wings was fourth in the nation and some stuff started to happen and they were having a lot of difficulties. And, she had been riding bridleless and we found that he was more relaxed and he was better that way. And, and she had a really tough decision to make. You know, I remember sitting down and, and talking about this and weighing the options of like, if I go in, in the bridle, it's going to be bad. Like 100%, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be bad. If I go in bridleless, I have a shot at least for it to be better. It, it wasn't anything more than that. It was just like, how do I, how do I go here and get through the course with the horse's interest in mind? And as crazy as it sounds, when we looked at all the numbers and on paper and everything that we had known about the horse up to this point, that was our best shot. And so nobody knew. I mean, even when we got to the in gate, people were like, what? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> no, you would hear she gets into the ring and you hear the murmurs going out through the crowd as people start to realize this horse doesn't have a bridle on. Nobody knew. It just kind of showed up and was that way. So, you, yeah, it was a different experience. Do you use a neck strap at all? Yes, we okay. do use a neck strap. Okay. Um, in the past, particularly when I was, you know, mainly focused on Western performance and reining horses and such and, and, and you know, all that kind of idea, which, you know, my first mentors, like I said, the Lions family, just absolutely spectacular people. They gave me a lot of my beginning knowledge and my start and taught me how to teach, which is the biggest thing in the world. They were such good communicators and such good teachers that the way the tools that they equipped me to have that was absolutely incredible. But, you know, Josh got me into reining and any good reining horse, you should be able to take that bridle off and run your pattern at at the end Mm. of the day. If the horse is trained well, any good reining horse should be able to do that. So for a long time, I did exhibitions just on my little core horse and would run reining patterns and such bridleless and with no neck rope, because that's how we did at the time. And and that worked for me for a really, really long time. However, I, I figured out that to ride jump courses and to do more advanced dressage type work, um, the neck rope was very, very helpful. Uh, it was almost impossible to do everything without a neck rope. Um, I would say that jumping a course without a neck rope and the communication styles that you can have there, that at that point, I would say, yeah, this may be too dangerous to take into competition uh, just because uh, horses are emotional beasts and it only takes one small trigger or, or a few triggers to start stacking. And, and you can lose that horse really quick over fences. There's so much emotion that goes into show jumping. Um, so yes, we do need to use a neck rope. I find it very effective. I find it super helpful for the horses to, to understand how to lift their withers, to engage their bodies and their top lines in tandem with the work that we do with our seat, with our leg, with our voice, everything comes into play to make this the best it can be. Not to switch gears too much, but I wanted to ask you about your Fantasia performances. So in Massachusetts, you guys were jumping bridleless and you were jumping moving, uh, moving fences. So yeah. how did that come about? How did that come about that you guys thought, let's take this up a notch and <laughs> jump moving objects? 
Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, anytime that you're doing a jumping exhibition type performance, um, you, you always have the question of, okay, well, you know, we set up a course and we jump a course and then what, you know, <laughs> like that's all you have. You have a course set out there and that's all you got. And, and trying to jump around the same course of jumps that are just, you know, hard stacked into the ground not very entertaining for the most part, even though it's bridalist, uh, you know, so we were trying to figure out how do we make this more entertaining. And the idea of being able to shape shift different patterns and different courses at a pretty high speed rate is really what we landed on. And, uh, it took a little time. It takes a little time to figure out the, the right patterns that we want and how to jump them. And certainly it's, it's, we have an amazing crew. Um, a lot of the crew that follows us, you know, to the expo are friends and students and just absolutely amazing people. And they, for the most part, they learn this stuff on the fly and uh, they learn how to shapeshift these patterns back in the barn before the expo when we're designing these patterns and we go over it over and over and over again. So they're all learning how to make sure that, uh, you know, actually we even have somebody that's on a radio and they all have radios in their ears and they're saying, you know, move here, tweak this, distances here, all this kind of stuff has a tendency to to really bottle up in the middle of a, a Fantasia performance. And then we added the idea of having the flags and the lights into it. And that kind of took mm-hmm. a different level to it. We're, we're always looking how to make it more theatrical, to make it more um, aesthetically pleasing. So the idea of taking shape-shifting jump courses and moving jumps and then adding the elements into you know being in the dark and lighted and all these kinds of things as much as we can add into it to make it interesting and take the level of difficulty up because, you know, let's face it, it's when things are difficult, when things have a wow factor, it's certainly more entertaining for people. So we're always trying to come up with how do we hit that wow, wow factor? How do we show the brilliance of our horses in a way that we've seen before? Um, so certainly that was a, a really fun way to, to put a lot of different elements, both aesthetically and performance wise into it. And it's a, it's a super fun show. It's a show, a fun show to perform in, but it's also a fun show to see how much everybody loves it. So yeah, it's been really good. And that mainly encompasses our first performance. The second performance that we have um, is a bit more technical and the height is obviously a, a bit more technical as well. Uh, usually by the time we get to the end of that performance, Lyric and I are jumping a meter 50, a meter 55, which is, you know, FBI Grand Prix type height fences. Um, so it is, uh, it's definitely something that a lot of people have never seen before for them to, to reach out and say, Oh my gosh, somebody in front of me live is, is jumping something as big as that as the jump goes up and you start hearing the murmurs in the crowd, you start hearing the whispers They're like, Oh my gosh, are they really going to do that? You know, <laughs> it becomes really fun and it becomes rewarding for, for those kids out there who we want to inspire to, to push more, to learn more, it becomes really cool to see their faces. And we're like, Whoa, I've never seen something like that before. And at the end of the day, that's what makes us really happy as well. Well, and it's a gorgeous performance. I mean, the horses are gorgeous. You guys look great going over the fences and then, yeah, the lights and the fences moving up and up and there's definite wow mm-hmm. factor. So, um, Listeners, if you want to learn more about Brendan and Melanie and you want to see them perform, definitely come to Equine Affair. But for our listeners at home, uh, how can they learn more about you guys? Yeah, so um, unbridledwings.com is the website. Uh, You can check us out and check out Melanie and Wing's story. You know, Melanie and Wings were a lot of the inspiration of the the international movement that became Unbridled Wings. Uh, Lyric and I are are taking that and carrying that on into the future as Lyric and I take it into higher levels of competition. Um, But Unbridled Wings, both on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and the website, that's really the best place to check us out and see what's going on. Um, It's definitely a a really fun story to read about and uh, introduction to what we do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share with us. And we will see you at Equine Affair. Yes, very excited. Looking forward to it. And coming up next, we have Celise Barrett. She's the director and founder of Equestrian Chaos, which is a stunt team that demonstrates the bond between women, their horses and their bows.
This incredibly exciting team is coming to Equine Affair this spring with their draft crosses to perform a mounted archery stunt performance in Fantasia. Solis is here to tell us all about equestrian chaos and how it has provided entertainment and therapy to thousands of special needs children and adults all across the world. Here's my interview with Solis. Well, hello. Welcome to the show, Solis. It's so good to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So talk to me about, well, I have so many things I want to ask you, but let's start off with Equestrian Chaos. What is that? What's your role with that? Tell us about your act. I am the director and founder of Equestrian Chaos. Uh, Equestrian Chaos is a very unique show. It was actually founded at a special needs uh, camp. And we would put together a show for the kids uh, that stayed at this camp during the week. Uh, A lot of times the children were homesick from being away from their parents and being a parent of a special needs child. Many times they are not, um, they don't really leave their parents. And so what we would do is we would try to bring a little bit of fun stunt riding for the kids to see uh, their first day on site at the camp. And that's literally where our show was born. And uh, and we would do trick riding, Roman riding, uh, different types of drill acts in costume to music. And then after we would put on the performance the first night, they got to ride the Equestrian Chaos show horses. And uh, they... What was really cool about the whole thing was um, they would see us doing all these cool, fun stunts and tricks, and then they would turn around when it was their time to go on their horse ride and start showing us their tricks uh, (laughs) that they could do. Um, And that's really kind of how it was birthed. We never expected it to take off the way it did, and we definitely did not expect it to become a uh, a national touring show. Uh, It it was just something that kind of fell into the place. And we were just at the right place at the right time. And we filled a need that uh, didn't exist at the time. Yeah, I have never heard of a stunt riding team that had its roots in, you know, performing for special needs kids. That That's just so cool to me because you're you're catering to this group of kids who... Um, they're probably lucky if they even see normal horseback riding and then they get to see something cool like that. Like just for them, that's so neat. It really was. And, or it really is. We still, it was, we still do it. Um, (laughs) what was so interesting for me though, coming from, um, a performing arts background, I've been on stage since I was three and my back horses were my hobby as a child and music, uh, classical music was actually my choice of study. Uh, all the way through uh, parts of college. And when I found out that we were, that the Dixie Stampede was going to uh, be building a show in Orlando, I was like, well, I've been a musician my whole life. Horses were my hobby. Let's see if I can audition for this show and see if I get hired. And that's how the equestrian theater for me personally started. Um, but being in entertainment, it was always so very cutthroat. Um, it's a, it's very hard to stay in uh, the entertainment business. And the one thing that I loved when I left the Stampede was when I took over these programs uh, for the children and adults with special needs. There were no expectations of how good or bad our performance was. It was just giving them our time. and being able to show them something, whether it was the same stunt over and over and over again, it did not matter. They were just thrilled to be able to be exposed to something like that. Um, And it really opened my eyes to something that was incredibly beautiful and allowed me to put my performer ego aside and realize that there's something much bigger going on here. And it's definitely much bigger than myself. And it has influenced thousands of children and adults um, that would never have the opportunity to see something otherwise. And for that, I always felt like it was my duty uh, to bring this to uh, these individuals. Um, 
I guess, you know, when you say uh, if you're blessed with a gift, it's your obligation to share it. And I feel like that's, that was my purpose for such a long time was to share these gifts with these children and adults that would normally not have the opportunity to see such things. Well, and, and you're still doing that, right? Because we were talking before we got started about how now Equestrian Chaos is on tour. You guys are going around to Renaissance festivals, but you're still involving the kids and the adults with special needs, right? Yes, we do. Uh, during the week, we um, we have, well, being new to the, I guess, the circuit from our uh, from an independent standpoint, uh, we found that there are several families that travel the circuit and have family members uh, on the with different special needs, uh, whether they're hearing impaired, whether they're somewhere on the autism spectrum. Um, but there's not a lot of resources when you're on the circuit for a lot of these children children right. and when we started meeting them we're like wait a minute we can do this on the road during the week while they're while we're not working and so we've started creating little programs throughout our travels to continue our work on the road while um sharing our skills uh with the renaissance family so it's been really a great thing to do and uh and great opportunities to bring different vendors and uh uh entertainers together to help us with uh our work yeah i think people don't realize when they go to a renaissance festival that you know people are there might be a month long run or a six month long run and the people who put on the festival like they live there they are there during the week they just they're doing the show on the weekends and then during the week they're doing regular lives or whatever and the kids need something to do and special needs kids would need something to do. So I love that you're filling those, you know, those couple day gaps between weekends with something good that is good for you and good for the kids of the traveling Rennies. I mean, that's such a cool opportunity that you get to fill. Yes, it absolutely is. And what we found even more interesting and wonderful is that uh, now when we travel, these kids that we have invested in um, have actually joined us in the arena and they'll help us with our show oh my gosh <laughs> that's awesome that's so, so awesome for yeah. them <laughs> so knights have squires and uh, uh archers have fletchlings and yes. so we have we have lots of fletchlings uh in different areas of the united states that will come in and help us uh whether they're handing our arrows to us or helping us on set or Maybe they're, uh, I call them my weapons master where they have to guard my bows. So <laughs> spectators and patrons don't try to take them. Yes. Um, but regardless, it makes them feel important. It gives them a purpose. And then they feel a part of something bigger than themselves. And we feel incredibly blessed to be able to continue that work while we're traveling and um, and to share it because there's, there's not enough of it out there, uh, to be perfectly honest. And I, I feel like the more we can get the word out uh, about this need that can be filled, uh, the better it will be for humanity in general. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your show. What What is Equestrian, uh, Equestrian Chaos? What do you guys actually do? You mentioned archery. So kind of describe your act for us. So we are, as far as I know, and I've done a lot of searching on the web, uh, we are the only ones that do a mounted archery stunt show where we try to depict what you would have seen in the days of Genghis Khan when the Mongol hordes were taking over and conquering the lands and how they would use archery on the battlefield. And so you'll see us while we're riding, we might turn backwards on our horses and fire arrows into targets. Uh, we might throw arrows to each other from horse to horse. Uh, you'll see a lot of the traditional tricks uh, that you would see in a regular trick riding show where we're standing or vaulting, uh, hanging upside down. Uh, but we do it with a bow in our hands and, uh, and try to wow the crowds with, with that. Uh, you'll see us doing some, uh, fast, fast loading, uh, where we're shooting multiple targets, uh, in a very short amount of time. And, uh, we just try to bring people back in time uh, so they could see what it would have looked like on the battlefield. If you were a, uh, we call ourselves the, the sharp shooters of the Renaissance era. <laughs> yes. 
mobile sharpshooters. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so tell me, uh, how many people are on your team? You, you've said we, so how many of them are you? How many are you? Oh my gosh, I can't talk. How many of you are well, on, in the show? <laughs> there are, so you will see three of us in the show. Uh, one is my husband. He hosts the show. Um, we call him the captain and you'll see me, my daughter and, uh, another woman. She has been my neighbor for over uh, almost 20 years now. She was my only neighbor when I first moved to Mobile, Alabama, and she's been riding with me since she was 10 years old and now she's 25. Uh, and so the three of us travel the country performing these shows. Uh, we have one other girl that used to ride with us and we'll call her in to fill in if we need to. But, you know, it's kind of a odd skill and a very rare skill to have. Uh, so yes. it's not very easy finding somebody to uh, just call in and fill and fill in if one of us uh, aren't available to to perform. Right. There's no sickness. The show must go on. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> and you had to recruit your neighbor. So it's handy to be neighbors with you. <laughs> yeah, it really was. So, but we were, we were trick riders first. We've been trick riding for, my daughter's been trick riding since she was in the womb. And uh, um, the other girl that rides with us, she has been trick riding since she was 10 years old. So we had, you know, 15, 20 years under our belt before we ever put an, a bow and arrow in our hands. and morph the two together into an act. Wow. It it took us three years to build this specific act. Yeah, I can believe it because I was looking at pictures on your Facebook, Equestrian Chaos Facebook, and I was stunned at it really was trick riding, but with a bow and arrow. And I'm like, even on my best day, I can't even dream of trick riding and then do a bow and arrow and trick riding. What? I mean, because you're putting uh, one picture that springs to mind is uh like dangling from the saddle sideways, one leg over yep. the horn, and then you're also <laughs> aiming and your body is twisted in this impossible way. And I'm like, how can you hit anything like that? But you, <laughs> but you can, right? <laughs> Three years later, we can, yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And then you guys wear incredible costumes and your horses wear costumes too. Tell us, tell us about yes. that. So, uh, yes, our costumes, we... Those those were a little tricky to figure out what would work best because uh, regular trick riding, you know, you can wear some pretty flashy stuff, and you know, and trying to, to trying to depict what it, a warrior type look uh, of that period, um, and not have all of the stuff get in your way, your costuming or the horse's costuming um, is a little tricky. It, it's amazing how much you catch yourself on your arrows or how much you'll snag. Uh, our, our equipment or a bow on certain things. So uh, uh, we try to depict it as much as we can to look like warriors um, of that time. Uh, in the summer months, you'll see feather, you'll see us molting on the field. You'll see our feathers uh, <laughs> flying everywhere. Um, and if it's cold, you'll, we'll trade out our feathers for fur. And uh, we have a sponsor from the Czech Republic. She uh, made these beautiful sham fronds for our horses and, uh, and sponsored us. So when we, when we do tour, um, we will, our horses will wear her artwork, um, as well and promote her business. So it's been really nice to, uh, be able to spread our work internationally and have such wonderful supporters, uh, supporting our, our act. Yeah. What is a, you said a sham frond? Tell me what that is. Yes. So that is the face piece that you see on our horses in some of the photos. Uh, mm -hmm. it has, um, some of them are the, they try to, she tried to match all of our colors for the shows. Um, but it just has, it's just, it looks like a piece of armor that goes on the horse's face. Yes. Uh, and she designed our logo on it and it has feathers on the top to kind of match our outfits to go along with the horses. Uh, I'm sorry, to go along with our costumes and just to try to bring a little more, uh, warrior type feel to our, to our trusty steeds that carry us into modern day battle. <laughs> yeah. When I was a teenager, I actually made one of those for my horse from some scrap leather, but I didn't know what it was called. I just was like, oh, I'll make her some face armor and it'll look really cool. And so now <laughs> I learned something. I learned what it's called. 
Oh, I didn't know what it was called either until about two years ago. I'm like, oh, what is she? She actually, she put a post up on Facebook and she said, we'd like to, uh, I'd like to sponsor somebody and I would like to make a chamfron. I'm like, What's a chamfron? Right? <laughs> I felt so silly, but I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, all those things that those horses wear when they joust, when the knights joust. Okay, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to have some. Yeah. So uh, that makes me feel better that you didn't know either. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know either. So <laughs> you're not alone. So uh, we're so excited to have you on the show today because you guys are going to be joining us for Fantasia in Ohio. And so is it, it sounds like it's your husband, your daughter, you and one other person, you guys are going to do your show for us. Yes, we will. We are so excited to be there. When was the last time you did Fantasia? Do you know? We have never done Fantasia. Oh, okay. I see. I thought you predated me and I was like, I think they used to do it. So, oh, that's even more exciting. It's your first time. All right. Yeah. We did Theater <laughs> Equus uh, last year, but no, Fantasia, this is our first. So we were so excited when we got the invite to uh, have this opportunity to, to perform uh, for this show. Um, yeah. To have it under, to perform under the spotlights uh, in you know, a Coliseum, it's just, it's fantastic. And it really takes our show to a, a different level. I mean, not that the Renaissance fairs aren't amazing because we love them, but it's, it's different when you've got a full production team and spotlights and uh, it really adds um, a really great theatrical effect to, to what we do. And, uh, and it's just, it's wonderful. We love it. Uh, we can't, we can't get enough of it. So absolutely. Well, I'm even more excited that it's your first time because as you probably know, this is our 30th anniversary of our event in Ohio. So we've been making it extra special and it's just even more exciting that we actually got you guys to compete in or to perform in Fantasia with us. So, oh, that's exciting. Um, how can people learn more about you guys? You can, they can find us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. We are currently working on our updated new website. Uh, the website that is not up currently right now will be at CSEAMobile.org. Uh, C as in cat, uh, S as in Sam, E as in elephant, A as in apple, uh, mobile being the city that we're from. Uh, .org, and uh, you'll be able to find information there. If you type in Equestrian Chaos, you'll find us on YouTube, uh, all the social media platforms that are out there. And um, yeah, that's how you can find us. We're actually working with a new marketing team now who's going to start taking over all of our social media stuff because we don't have time to yes. uh, fire <laughs> arrows and keep our horses up to par and, and keep our bodies up and try to navigate a a a world that was that is not my generation we'll just say that um <laughs> my age a little bit but i was not born into the social media uh generation so it's a little bit much for me to keep up with so um, uh, we decided to go ahead and leave it up to the professionals to help us out with that one well no that makes sense to me and i would be remiss if i didn't ask you about your horse team i've asked you about your costumes and your people team but not your horses so tell us a little bit oh. about your horses so our horses, oh gosh, they're so amazing. We've had them uh, from the start. We train all of our horses from the ground up. Most of them are draft crosses, being uh, most of them Percheron quarter horse crosses. Uh, we use all geldings and stallions for our show. And uh, when they are not being rock stars on the field, uh, carrying us into battle, they are being heroes and they are our main therapy horses that we use for our program. Oh, awesome. Oh, that's so cool. So we love that the kids get to ride the stars and it makes them feel special. Uh, and ultimately, it's it's all about the horses anyway. I mean, it we wouldn't be who we are if it wasn't for them. And we wouldn't have the impact that we have on our fans if it wasn't for our amazing horses. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and a, a good draft cross, that's really my dream. My dream horse someday is to have a really nice draft cross because they're just incredible horses. They are. It's almost like some of them are just born already trained. Um, I don't yeah. know. Uh, they're yeah, they're wonderful, and uh, I like we we really uh, promote the draft crosses because for our work with a the therapeutic uh, for those individuals, they a lot of times after early intervention, uh, the adults get left behind. Uh, mm -hmm. The programs stop and they age out, and a lot of therapeutic centers can't 
take adults because they don't have the horses the right size Mm -hmm. to carry. And so I tend to like using the bigger horses for that. That way we can accommodate all uh, ages of individuals um, for our program. So they don't get left behind. Uh, There's many families that just struggle trying to find something for them to do. We love the Percherons because of their personalities, their temperament. They're much more laid back than um, some of your other breeds of horses and uh, sometimes faster moving horses on the ground just are a little bit overstimulating for some of the people that we uh, work with and the Percherons just being that of the slow movers that they are the gentle giants. uh, We, I just, I have fallen in love with them and I'm a big advocate uh, of using them for our, our, for our program specifically, not for every program, but for us, they, they work the best. Well, and they're really like big, lovable moving couches, you know, like if a couch could come to life, that's how you imagine it would move like a, like a good draft cross, just like nice and slow and easy. And they've got the, the curves, you know, (laughs) and they have, and you know, and and for us, I'm, I'm not like super tall. I'm five foot eight, but for a trick rider, I'm one of the taller ones. Yeah. And I found that having the crosses, they just last longer. Uh, Their bodies don't get tired. They don't wear down so quickly. Uh, And for us, we trick ride on both sides of the horse. Uh, We fire uh, our arrows uh, both directions. We're right and left-handed shooters. Um, And so it's, you know, it's really nice to have a horse that lasts, you know, into their mid twenties still wanting to do their job and still physically capable of doing their job and us not, you know, wearing their bodies down so hard. I'm, you know, not that there's anything wrong with the smaller, faster, you know, quarter horses or anything like that. I sure. don't get me wrong. I love a little fast trick riding horse, but for sure. what we do specifically for this act, uh, the crosses have just been the best and are most stable. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally, I can totally see that. That's awesome. Well, Silice, this has been incredible. Thank you for taking the time to share with us. And if you guys want to see equestrian chaos in motion and meet the people and the horses we've been talking about, then you've got to come to Equine Affair and Fantasia in Ohio. So thanks again, Silice. Thank you very much for having me, Allison. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a fantastic Fantasia. Oh, it's going to be amazing. It really is. I, I mean, between wait. just with those two, I mean, it's going yeah. to be fun, right? Uh, I, that's great. What a what a lineup you have this year. Oh, man, I can't wait to I get to video it. And so I cannot wait to capture all that stuff on video. It's going to be amazing. Very cool. Very cool. And of course, they can uh, get their tickets now for Fantasia. Uh, and where can they do that? They can go to equineaffair.com and buy their tickets for Fantasia. It is three nights only. And I will say Friday and Saturday nights fill up quickly, especially the prime seats. So make sure you get your tickets for the night that you want as soon as possible. Um, you can also call our office and buy over the phone, but it's easier to go online to equineaffair.com. Very good. And I was just at a podcasting conference a little bit ago. It was a big conference and I had close to 2,000 people there. And they survive by volunteers. There's no way they could run that conference without volunteers everywhere. And I know that you're the same way. And if you want to get into Equine Affair for free, then volunteer. Volunteers get free admission and souvenirs and a chance to hang out with the cool people like Allison and the rest of the team. Apply on our website by February 26th. When possible, Equine Affair will work with your schedule so you can still see all the things that you'd like to see and earn your way in for free. What could be better? Visit equineaffair.com for all the details. Well, that's it for this show. We have what, one? Do we have two more or just one more before Equine Affair? We have March and then we're doing live shows in April. So we have one more episode before you get to hear the ones we record at the show. Wow. Well, I come up quick. You just did Massachusetts. I know. I can't. <laughs> I January feels like it's been a century long because I've does. been potty training my child. But well, at the same plus time, <laughs> everybody else in in winter, the winter we've had, it seems yes. like that long too. Yes. So at the same time, though, it's good. It's. I mean, this is February fifteenth. Like, two months. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, then you better buy your tickets. You better make your plans. You better get your hotels. On the website there, there are hotels listed. So you can go there to figure out what hotel you want to go to. 
Uh, and of course, you can find all the details at equineaffair.com. If you want to catch any of the past episodes of Equine Affair, you can just go to Equine Affair Podcast now on your podcast player. Check it out there. And also, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and click on the Equine Affair banner and check out all the past episodes. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. And we'll see you guys at Equine Affair. 